1: to share this episode thanks to these fine companies i depend on in the field game changer calls the gc was designed with all hunting callers in mind though elk is the intended target the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well it is not designed to replace your tube or open reeds, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field vortex optics proudly made in the usa hoffman boots If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to SasquatchFuel.com. Titanium archery products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand. And that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com, partner's page, look for the code WESTERNCONTOURS, and save a few dollars off your order. So we're on with East Tennessee's own uh, Adam Smith. What's happening, Adam? How you doing, man? I'm good, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Gave him a little precursor since uh, since we talked about that accent there. <laughs> but that accent oh, yeah. <laughs> only the folks outside of East Tennessee and and you know going to notice that accent.
2: Yeah, I've a um, I I've had it brought up before. It's it's strange. Like if you ever go to some place like a Florida. I went on vacation there a few years back, and they've got a completely different accent. But it was too. I walked into a gas station, and they were like trying to ask me where I was from, and I couldn't understand what they were saying to figure <laughs> out where they were
1: from. So, I think when you get into you know those deeper, deeper you know in the South, and you start to, especially in like Mississippi and Louisiana, man, you get some of them the Cajun accents and and all that broken French and whatnot going on. um Yeah. At, that's about as puzzling as it gets i think if you go deep Appalachian, you probably get some of that too
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's kind of weird here in, um here in the east tennessee because there's almost an amalgamation of the different southern accents so it depends on you know if you go to like the chattanooga area you'll get the uh longer more drawn out typical southern draw accents and when you get up around knoxville towards the mountains people start Talking too fast, you can't understand half sound like Boom off King of the Hill.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny too because some of the some of the, I guess for the lack of a better word, slang um that comes along with it. Um I'm pretty good at like figuring it out, but man, it cracks me up. <laughs> So why don't you give everybody, man, a little background and, uh, you know, talk, tell them about who you are and, uh, you know, we'll get into why, why we have an episode. I mean, there's not really a why on this podcast. I just roll with it. Um, (laughs) but talk about your outdoor life and hunting in general, man. How'd you start? Uh,
2: yeah. Um, like you said, East Tennessee native. I was born and raised around Knoxville. Um, honestly, I kind of, I kind of straddled the line a little bit between like adult onset hunter and somebody that was raised in the hunting out, you know, hunting lifestyle. Cause my dad was a big hunter growing up, but honestly the relationship I had with my dad was a little contentious in my youth. So I just, I didn't really care for anything for hunting. And then about the time, uh, I guess I was about to hit 30. I started getting into, um, God, I hate to use this cliche of a term, but becoming like a foodie and started thinking about like, a wild game meat and stuff. And then my dad had been on me for a few years to go turkey hunting with him. And I went right right when I was 30 and I uh, started hearing those turkeys gobble and it sucked me sucked me right back into it. And then I've just been hitting it full bore from then on out, trying to learn as much about it as I can.
1: Any regrets? I've always been a – Oh, sorry about that, man. Any regrets missing those years?
2: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, because I kind of feel – I feel like I'm a little bit behind the curve. I mean, I don't so much – um. Uh, I'm enjoying the learning process, but I, I, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like it'd be easier to fill the freezer some seasons if I had a little bit more experience under my belt, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's a,
1: that's a very, that's an interesting topic, right? When we start talking about hunting in general, and I'm not gonna, you know, use the, use the plague, um, adult onset hunter, but <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, that kind of, disease. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it's funny. It has that, it has a weird connotation to it, especially for the folks that started late. Um, yeah, but it, it's a weird thing, right? Because hunting in my head is, is ever evolving. We're always learning. So there's always a learning curve that never, I don't care who the hell you are. It's never going away, but it really amounts to time in the woods um, or time on yeah. the mountain. However, you know, whatever your, whatever your pursuit is, Uh, And then the fact that folks, you know, like my hot button is is elk, Um, you know, and another guy might have hunted elk for 15 years and then, you know, wants to be a sheep hunter. And now he's switched. So you never really get rid of that learning curve. And, you know, just time on tags and opportunity is really that's really what does it. You know, I don't know that I don't know that we ever stop learning in this game. And if we do, then we probably need to rethink it a little bit. Yeah
2: yeah I would agree, I'd agree with you on that, yeah I think um uh, East Tennessee's kind of weird too, because like we' got a uh people don't think of the east as like public land states, but you know we actually got quite a bit of public land in this area, but the problem is there's almost i hate to use the term like too much access, but there's a lot of good easy access to big tracts of land around here, and uh sometimes I think I make it a little harder on myself than it has to be just because I'm trying to where I got started so late, I kind of try to prove to myself. That I can do it on my own without having these areas that you know my dad's hunted forever, and kind of, I kind of look at those as like hand-me-down hunting spots. And I want to, you know, know that I could do it on my own. So I go out to these public land areas, and they're just like crawling with hunters, or they're crawling mountain bikers and hikers. And so sometimes I think I handicap myself a little bit more than I should.
1: <laughs> so what? When you talk, you know, you're talking to a guy that lives in the West, hunts in the West. Um, So when you talk about vast expanses of land, what are you looking at? Because I know, um, you know, several people in Tennessee that, uh, you know, some are hunting 20, some are hunting, you know, 100, 400 acres. What are you looking at?
2: We've got, um, like, uh, I think the, uh, I don't have it on me right now. We've got uh, about an hour up the road from where I live. We've got, like, the, um, of course, I've not been up there much, but we've got the, I think it's called the North Cumberland Wildlife Management Area, and it's a, I want to say it's a couple of hundred thousand acres. Oh, so that's good. It's kind of, it's spread out mostly over the Cumberland Plateau, and it's like, it's not one continuous area. Like there's big tracks of it, and then it'll be broken up a little bit like by private land. Sometimes there's like chunks of private land smack in the middle of the wildlife management area. And then we've got the, uh, about another, hour up the road a different direction we got the chuck swan wildlife management area i'm wanting to say it's around i think don't quote me on this but i think it's about 25 uh, 25 was it twenty five thousand? i think it's about 25 maybe it's 2,400 acres it's pretty big
1: yeah that's that's some good that's some good expanses there man i didn't mean to cut you off with that go ahead (laughs) no
2: no no that's all right i was just i was um i kind of cut myself off because i was trying to remember my numbers I'm I'm probably way off base. They're big though. They're they're bigger than what people think of. But we do have small tracks too, like the um, TBA, because we got the Tennessee River system that runs through East Tennessee, and there's a lot of small, like twenty to hundred acre chunks of a uh, just undeveloped land that's owned by TBA that you can actually go out and hunt on. That's all up and them down the rivers and the lakes.
1: Yeah, what always strikes me with you guys, man, is is the amount of the amount of game you can take in in a season. Um, oh you know, yeah, it's <laughs> phenomenal,
2: <laughs> and it's even more so uh, when you start getting out to the western part of the state, where it's more uh, less mountainous, more agriculture. Man, they've got some. Uh, They've got some crazy numbers on whitetail that you can take out there. I think the unit L's got a private land only hunt that goes into the first of the year and you can take like three, four does and stuff a day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I want to say that's what I was thinking of. And I, it's something like, uh, I want to say it was two or three bucks a season and then up to four or five doe a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a unit L. I think, uh, generally you, um, we got like a, statewide limit of two bucks a season sometimes you can get drawn on a quota hunt for one of these uh, WMAs and get a bonus buck but then uh, we've had CWD creep in the lower west corner of the state and so they've kind of upped the um, up the tag a lot out there to get the numbers knocked down to try to keep it
1: spreading dang Um, so eco outdoors, man, that's your, that's your blog. And that's how I learned about you, um, you know, via Instagram and, and then, you know, checked out a couple and you had, you wrote one, your most recent one was Corona and coyotes and There's nuances in there that, that go further than, than what you're talking about when we start talking about the hunting demographic or the hunting community. So why don't you talk about that blog a little bit and then we'll just see where it goes from there, man. And we'll, we'll get some spinoffs going. I'm sure.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. um, No, I started the, uh, I started the blog basically just because, you know, I love the uh, outdoor lifestyle so much. I wanted to contribute to it. and. Although I aspire to one day, you know, maybe be a conservationist. I don't really think I wear that label right now. And I'm not a biologist or anything like that. So I was just looking for a way to kind of contribute to it. And There's just some, um, yeah, overreaching arches and stuff I see going on out there in the hunting community. And, you know, in general that I wanted to address. But really, I just wanted to kind of make a place where uh, I I was trying to make a place to show people, to show hunters and to show non-hunters that, you know, we're thinkers too. We're not all just like goofy rednecks with guns or just all about the kill. You know, we, there's, there's more, there's more thought that goes into it than that. And I was trying to touch on some of the ideas and philosophies that maybe, you know, some of the more popular media don't really address. Cause you know, everybody and their brother talks about like saving public lands or uh hunting policy, but I was trying to kind of thread the needles and, different
1: ideas. Which is important, right? I mean, there's a lot of, well, like you called it in in one of your blogs there, petty squabbles. And I think those petty squabbles, as minor as they may seem and as limited as they are to our demographic, because I guarantee you that, you know, Tom, Dick and Jane have no idea about it. But it's a, in my opinion, that's a hindrance to growing us and showing the full, you know, there's there's a ton of positive values and positive things in conservation and our lifestyle that uh, should be exposed. But these stupid yeah. divides that we have, man.
2: Yeah, and a lot of that's just um, I don't know. I don't know what it is about human nature that a lot of people, they just don't want to like you know, I enjoy a good, intelligent, articulate debate over an issue, but I'm willing to listen to another pe- another person's side and I don't know what it is about human nature that people just automatically want to get in the corner and start fighting. And uh, like you said, it is a hindrance and a lot of it's just over stupid stuff. Like People would start fighting over compound bows or uh, crossbows or, you know, whether you shoot like a year-old buck or a mature buck and it's just, you know, it, yeah, it keeps us from focusing on the bigger issues and then so what inevitably ends up happening is people on the outside. If they start looking into it, all they see is these guys fighting over this stupid crap, or all they see is the negative stories that rise to the surface from the mainstream media.
1: And I don't, yeah, that that's a hard one, right? Cause what is mainstream? I just, I think I was, I was on one the other night and the wife was watching, watching the news <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember. Oh, it was they, yeah. News is dead, uh, or no? Journalism is dead, and what they were, you know, is is on the news, and they're tell, talking about the most used, the least used, and the most popular emojis, and I'm going, well, how the, how in the hell is this news? So I'm real skeptical, man, of 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 the mainstream media even having anything outside of downing what we do, right? And and those plays, and and you know. The madness with gun control um, and how evil you know guns are. So that's a that's yeah. a rough one.
2: Yeah, and even like even with something like gun control, like um, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm totally like I'm a hundred and ten percent pro Second Amendment, but I think we could do a lot on our end too to like come like instead of just immediately getting back in your corner. And being like, no, we're keeping everything. It's all or nothing. Like, at least I think a lot of our problem is nobody really comes to the table to like discuss it. You see what I'm saying? It's like we're just like, nope, we're keeping everything, and that's the end of it. Like they're not even putting forth an effort to come to like just, just come to the table and talk. You catch more. of, what, What's that old thing? You catch more uh, flies with uh, sugar than vinegar.
1: And, yeah, and a lot of a- them. A lot of that amounts to and I think generally speaking, I think as a demographic, we are pretty good with respecting other people's choice to disagree with what we do to a point. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important value is to, you know, I don't care if, if you have an opinion on something, that's your opinion. And like you said earlier, we can come to the table and have an articulate conversation that doesn't have to be a bashing, but an explanation of that view and walk away either we agree we're a little bit closer to agreement or we just still disagree but you can still respect that view yeah it's a lot easier to uh <laughs>
2: it's a lot easier to disagree and leave the bridge up where you can cross back and forth and talk than it is to disagree and burn it yeah. and
1: then everybody's <laughs> screwed yeah but the, and, and the problem and then it's not a huge problem but the problem I see is a lot of times in our demographic we're not willing to do that right we're on one side or the other and we, you know, like you're talking, we, we raise the drawbridge and that's it. You're going to have to bust down this drawbridge and then we're going to fight about it some more. And I've seen guys go back and forth on like, you know, Facebook pages, man, and, and insult each other's families and wives and kids. And I, if I remember correctly, it started over a conversation I think it was camo or a bow brand. And I, and I'm, I, I read the whole thing. Like part of me was intrigued and then part of me was like, okay, I want to see where this is going. Uh, and there was that small evil part of me that was laughing as they're, you know, bashing on each other's wives. Um but it was just, <laughs> it's just amazing to me to see that go down. It's like, Woody, if we can't, if we can't stand behind each other, no matter, you know, and, and I'm talking ethically responsible, um, good values i'm talking about some guy that's going out and just shooting to kill but a good outdoorsman or woman we should be able to stand behind each other take those disagreements and, and understand that hey we are we are one and the same what we are trying to do our pursuits may be different our weapons may be different the color or pattern or brand of our camo is different but we are the same
2: yeah, exactly. That's um, and I think I even said that in that in that most recent blog post was um, you know, those are those are conversations that we need to have amongst ourselves. But when you know when it gets to just being a uh, pissing contest, for lack of a better term, then I mean that's all the outside sees, and so we're over here complaining to each other back and forth about all those various issues, and the whole time you know everybody else like they're posting stories about a. You know the media is posting stories about bear. Like, there's one going around right now because over in the mountains, apparently there's uh, some bears showing up that's missing limbs, and they're thinking it's coming from traps, and that's illegal. But you know, there's nobody like. I don't really see this is this is that's a perfect opportunity for our group and demographic to shine. You know, we need to step forward and see, try to put an end to it to ourselves, and that's the kind of thing that we could do for like. It's going to start to change how the outside looks at us but instead we're all just too busy (laughs) bitching about compound bows and crossbows
1: right well right now i think we're all nervous about seasons too with this dang COVID. but i and i agree with you that that is the perfect opportunity to stand up and say hey we don't we don't support this because a lot of times they'll label that as hunting right trappers oh, and hunters yeah, right
2: me, trappers and hunters yeah, yeah. And we're
1: thrown in there that's that's outright a poacher that's somebody that yeah. we don't 99.9 percent of our demographic does not agree with i'm sure that there's the one or two that'll have some argument but most of us don't agree with that we don't approve of it and and quite honestly we despise it because it goes against everything that we practice when we talk fair chase and ethics
2: yeah exactly so, man, yeah, it's, a, it's crazy. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go for it, man. <laughs> uh, you were uh, uh, on another little side tangent when you mentioned the COVID-19 crap that's going on right now. I think it's a uh, – I don't know what's going to happen with the season here in Tennessee as far as deer season goes, but it's, a, um, it's been interesting as far as turkey season because they didn't – um. Basically, the outdoors in Tennessee has been wide open, and so we've seen. I think we're on track for a record year for turkey harvest because nobody's been able to work. So everybody's just in the the woods. woods. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that's a good deal. I mean, you know, there's uh, quite a few states, man, they they stop non-resident sales, you know, trying to slow the spread down, stop non-res sales. um, Washington state, they shut everything, everything down, non-resident, resident, no fishing, no hunting. And to me, that's like. That's the craziest decision, the most irrational decision that could be made. Because what what better way to stay out of crowds than go and be on the lake or on your boat or in the mountains chasing bears and bear season and turkeys and turkey season? Just doesn't make any sense.
2: Oh, yeah. When I like that's that's exactly the activity I'm participating in when I'm trying to not be close to people. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just weird. It's like uh I hate even saying social distancing because to me, that's not what it is, right? What they're calling for is a physical distance. And with my foil hat on, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like social distancing is like, is some kind of programming that they're just trying to keep throwing and throwing and throwing because it's, it's a physical distance. There's a, you know, that, that space there. It's out of this whole thing is just flipping crazy, man.
2: Yeah. Not to delve too much into, um, Oh, foil hats. <laughs> I, yeah, not to get to, not, not to get too far into that, but if you, it, it's it's kind of almost like if you look at the trend the past ten years when social media came out, a lot of a uh, even outside of our demographic, a lot of it's just been people fighting and bickering back and forth and getting further and further apart and not being united. And it's uh, I've been that's why I was telling my wife a while back. I'm like, it's kind of a ironic that we've been driving a wedge on social media between ourselves for all these years. And now something's coming along and it's actually making us actually be physically apart.
1: Yeah. That's divide and conquer foil hat. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. It's uh, I, what are we into this thing? Like, like two months and some days now. And, uh, yeah. man, I'm, I'm done. i am done dude it's uh you know and there's a lot of places you know you guys are one that you know i think you guys are fortunate yeah i'm sure like around the nashville area where you guys are a bit more liberal um you know you probably (laughs) saw it more but i'm here in southern freaking california dude the hub one of the hubs of uh the left liberal extreme and it has been something else um no toilet paper, and now that I think it's the foil. Foil, foil is the new toilet paper. I was because everybody's making them hats. Yeah, they need to. They need to put their foil hat on so they stop listening to all the BS that's friggin' flowing out of everything.
2: Yeah, there, there's definitely there's definitely some sensationalism going going on with it. I mean, I I I know it's a real thing, and it's like I told some buddies of mine. Like, look, I'm sure it's real, and My point of view is I don't want the flu either. So we can go ahead and we can go ahead and stay six foot apart. But I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of it's getting blown out of proportion too.
1: Oh yeah. The politics in it all is, uh, is extraordinary. Phenomenal. It's just, uh, it's an amazing sight to see. And and at the cost of whatever it takes for the politics, that's the disheartening part. Yeah. The politicians are going to do
2: whatever they're going to do at the expense of the, uh, the offense of the little man and the people because they, I mean, they're, I hate to say it, they're, they're, they're in a comfy position so they can, they can play oh, around right. with it a lot more. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. They, uh, there's folks that will not recover from this, businesses that will really, mm. you know, will not recover. But man.
2: Oh, yeah. My, um, there's a lot of small businesses that's going to be, uh, going to be hurting for sure if not just completely shut down.
1: I'm, that's what I'm curious to see. They're talking about, you know, a reopening, if you will, here. And, uh, I got to imagine, man, that, that there's going to be a lot of storefronts that'll never see those businesses open back up, man. And that's unfortunate people pour their hearts and souls into chasing that dream and to have it wiped away like this has been uh man, it's horrible.
2: Yeah. And I really, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know what it's been like out there, but I know around here, you know, it really just seems like it's been the past, uh, few years that uh, this area has really started to blossom after the last uh, recession we had back in 08, 09. It really just seems like we were starting to do like really, really well, and then this hits and everything's going to be
1: wiped out. I'm curious, since we're on this topic, right, and, and <laughs> California gets, California has a bad rap, right? The politics suck, and Yeah what uh <laughs> so i'm curious to hear it from somebody that's you know damn near eastern seaboard what uh <laughs> what do they say what do you guys see on your news about what's going on out out here in the west
2: uh to be honest with you i don't really pay that much attention to the news because usually there's nothing on there i just get mad and aggravated when i hear it so <laughs> i tend to i tend to veer away from it. but i kind of stay just surprised enough to uh, kind of know a little bit about what's going on but um I've really not heard, you know, around around here. You hear more about New York and New Jersey for some reason. I guess it's maybe because it's on this side of the. just on this side of the U.S. Um, I think I think. No offense to anybody out in California, no, but I think the it. general. <laughs> <laughs> I think the general mindset in Tennessee, anyway, is like. I think everybody in Tennessee, at least tends to think everybody in California is from like San Diego and Los Angeles and they just look at everybody out there as like crazy real hard left wing people and they just like they're right, like, man, they're gonna do what they're gonna do. And it's almost like it's a different country. <laughs> yeah.
1: It you know, man, it damn near is sometimes that's how it feels when you leave this place. <laughs> and it's it's hard to stomach here, not being of that mindset. Um, it's hard to watch oh, it. Yeah. You know, it's just like, man, so I'm a realist back in, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Sound> good. <laughs> that, that's a hard one to avoid though, man, especially it's, you know, it's hidden everywhere. Um, I want to, I want you to talk about it. I've been doing quite a bit of talking, but I want you to talk about uh, something that you had in one of your blogs and, and Hunt Purity and what that means to you. And, and we'll just take it from there.
2: Right. Um, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier because I, uh, I was looking at the bullet points a little bit and I was uh, writing some notes down. And, uh, I mean, I guess it really depends on – what you're wanting to get out of a hunt but i know um i don't know if this is the one you're referencing but I, I wrote one a while back i think i called it feelings but it was um i just i noticed when i'm out in the woods what i'm trying to get, i guess what i'm trying to get from being out in the woods is i want to encounter that critter living its natural life and i just i don't know man i feel different about it like because I, I was out on some public land i think it was last year maybe the year before on the opening day of rifle season. And I've been out on this piece for a olive archery and a olive muzzleloader. And I hadn't seen the first other hunter. And then I get back in the woods on the opening morning of modern gun. And it's just like headlights, flashlights coming everywhere. And then a few minutes after the first light, you just start hearing bullets flying. And I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I would probably, I would probably take a deer if one happened to run in front of me because of this because I really just I wanted the meat but I, I totally I was like man I feel different about it like I just don't know how I feel about it because it's, it's at this point man this thing is no longer it's running it's stressed it's like freaking out and it's no longer it's, it's not what I'm wanting to get out of the hunt at all and you know what I'm saying because it's not it's not living it's it's not just doing it's own thing
1: it's almost being it's almost a drive <laughs>
2: yeah yeah at that point it really is and I mean it was a yeah it sounded it sounded nuts. So, uh, but yeah, I don't I guess uh I guess there's kinda of two different there's probably more but there's two different mindsets almost. It's kinda of like the guys that, you know, want to go out and connect with the uh I guess the primal aspects of being part of nature and the food chain and there's guys that just wanna go out and hang out with their buddies and shoot a deer. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those, but I mean a lot of it just uh just boils down to what you want to get out of the situation, I guess.
1: Yes. When I saw that, man, I, I, it made me think about it and I'm on the side with you where I want to be and correct me if, if I'm taking your take on it wrong, but I want to be out in nature and experience that animal in nature for what it is and, and be in God's creation. And yes, we're going to run into other hunters. Um, and then if the land is, you know, the tracks are smaller. Um, that's more likely to happen, but I want, if, if they're there, I'm going to push even further so I can have that purity in that hunt, that, that time to connect.
2: Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I was getting at. And that's, um, that's one of the things at least close, to, at least the land close to office, that I was, uh, trying to articulate earlier. It's kind of tricky. It's, um, there's, it's really kind of hard to do that once mass not here, once mass numbers of people get out because you can only push so far, and then you're running in. You're either running into somebody's backyard, private land, or you're running onto a um. There's one area I hunt. Um, it's a recreation area, and it's just inundated with mountain bike trails and hiking trails, and I keep going out there almost just to kind of like one of those things i'm afraid if we don't use it we'll use it but i don't really go out there with a lot of hope but i still go out there and it seems like every time i'm out there i'm encountering somebody else you know just walking down the trail talking at the top of their lungs about their aunt's divorce or something like that so it's um sometimes it's almost i know not everybody has access to the private land but at, at least around here sometimes it's more it's easier to get that animal doing its own animal thing on a piece of private land because they're just not getting they're not getting the pressure from either the recreational users or the uh sports men and women out there.
1: So and that's and that's interesting. Um you know you're sitting in and I'm I'm generalizing right based on what <laughs> I know. So you're sitting in a blind, you're sitting in a tree stand. Um that that has to pose another element of concern right as people are hiking and biking around i mean we get that but here again we can push 20 miles in one direction um and not have to worry about it and get off of those beaten trails and things like that that has to pose some some level of concern outside of that right if you're you know you shoot an animal shoot you shoot an animal with a 30-06 and get a you know clean pass through on a smaller animal um
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's a, um, it definitely is. I think about it a lot when I'm out there because uh, like out that one place I was just telling you about, like there's, there's only one, I've been all through there and there's only one place off the top of my head that I can think of where you can go where you're not actually invisible sight of a walking trail everywhere else you can go up there. And there's signs posted everywhere that says people hunt up here, basically be careful, but there's only one place I can actually, Think of that—you can actually go and sit and not physically see a
1: trail in front of you. <laughs> now, do they post like when it's season? Do you see more postings? Are are people warned or?
2: Oh yeah, man, I do. But people—they don't pay any attention. Like, um, there's another—we've we, actually got a wildlife management area, kind of like in the heart of downtown Knoxville, and um, there's trails that run all the way through it. But the only trail that's supposed to be open um basically i think from uh august 31st through june 1st all the interior trails are supposed to be closed to anyone but licensed hunters but i was in there turkey hunting a couple of three weeks ago and um i heard a family just a young family just walking up the trail and i thought well maybe i read the sign wrong and i'm on the wrong trail and so i was walking back out to my jeep and at the head of the trail there was literally two signs put by the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency in the middle of the trail that said trail closed to all but licensed hunters, so they don't they don't pay any attention
1: to walk right by
2: the post signs. Huh.
1: You just said and, uh, you just said a couple oh, of you, you just said a couple of three weeks. And I use yeah, that a couple uh, three weeks. I, I use that all the time. I say the same thing, right? A couple of three. <laughs> and uh just about everybody gives me mess about it. I'm happy to hear you say that. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: I use it all the time. Another another favorite's uh another favorite's uh, saying 311 for like a high quantity being like, Hey man, man I must have been geese out in that field when we drove by the other day.
1: I'm gonna write that one down. <laughs> that's too funny. I wish my wife was. I think she's outside, but I say, you know, a couple three, and she gives me mess about it. Oh yeah, oh, I
2: like it. Couple three. Yeah, that other um, that other big wildlife management area I was telling you about, the one that's a couple of hundred thousand acres or whatever. It's the same way, but it's not a, it's not mountain bikers and hikers up there. Up there, the big draw, and uh, it'll never change because. It's an economic draw and it's a very, very rural area up there. But I mean, up there, the big draw is, um, UTV and ATV trails. So you can hunt the whole area, but you're always basically within at least earshot of the ATV trail. Yeah, See,
1: that's the killer for me. I could deal with the hikers, mountain bikers, but those ATV areas, man, that, uh, you're not, you're not safe from them, right? You can, you can get in as far as you want to get in and they're a lot faster, um, oh, yeah, yeah, there's just, yeah, you could have those. We have some areas out here, uh, like in Colorado where they'll do they'll have trails and it'll be you know less than 30 inches. So, oh, yeah, that uh, things like that help, but yeah, if I'm in an area where it's uh, off highway equipment and I'm out of there as soon as I see a sign,
2: yeah, I don't know, uh, I don't see a lot of our um. <laughs> That's really I guess we're kinda of lucky because that's really the only place is the uh that one that I'm telling you, that's really the only place we've got a lot of ATV people because um most of the other wildlife management areas they've got roads where TWRA works on the land but they're gated off so it's foot traffic only. So that, that works out. <laughs>
1: So something, so there's another bullet here, right. And, and kind of just getting back on track with that hunt purity thing, right. And enjoying yeah. nature for what it is. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that for me is the work that it takes to, you know, get to that, that end moment that we're hoping for as hunters, right. That notch tag blood on the hands that field dress and that drag out, um, and you had something on there that, you know, primal cuts and suffering, like that that's what motivates me, right? These primal cuts of meat in the field and suffering to get there. That is that adds to that icing on the cake, right? It is like the candle blowout, if you will.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, there's even a um I got a I got a couple of those last year, and I got them on a piece of private land. And uh, my dad, I guess where he I was with him, but he was hunting in another another section. And uh, I guess he's from a different generation, but I almost feel I almost feel like you owe, or I I can't see for anyone else, but myself. When I take an animal's life, I almost feel like I owe that animal a little bit of suffering on my own part. So like even though I was within a couple hundred yards of the truck, uh, the, the animals I got last year, I went ahead and. Butchered them in the field, put them in a meat bag and then, you know, hiked them up, back up to the truck just because I felt like a, I could have easily drove my dad's four-wheeler down there and chained it up, drug it up to the truck, threw it in the back of the trailer. But I don't know. I felt, and I know it don't make a difference to the animal because it already did, but I felt like I owed it to, the, I don't know, maybe the
1: spirit or the memory of the animal to kind of suffer a little bit with it. But, you know, and, and I would agree that for me, the the pack out, because um, here where I hunt, we're, we're you know, we're, field dressing we're putting them in our packs and we're getting out of there um that is that is the ultimate culmination of that hunt and yeah. we we prepare for that um you know preseason we're working out and that's one of the things that's all oh man if i got to pack this animal out i got to be ready to pack this <laughs> but it is the ultimate culmination of that hunt um and that's why it stood out to me. I'm like, man, that right there, right? That's part of that work, that that suffering, that work ethic. It just makes everything, I mean, it just brings it full circle. So I was I was actually kind of happy to hear that because a lot of folks, you know, back your way, doing just what you're saying, right? You, you may feel dress it, you know, put it on a drag, get it out to that closest road, and then, you know, go over to grab the truck, throw it in the back and handle it in the shop.
2: Yeah, and it's um, above and beyond that too, like in the same vein, it's, um, to me, the meat is just so, if you got good on practices, it's just so much, it's so much better than like, because, you know, you gut a deer and you throw it in the back of a truck and you show it to your buddies and you go two hours down to the processor and half the processor's around here it's 60 degrees outside and they got their cooler wide open and the animal's they got like, I don't know, 12 deer hanging in there and the meat's getting smoked and it's not because of a smoker. It's because a guy's chain smoking cigarettes.
0: <laughs>
2: and it's just, I don't know. It's it's more to me, if you can, everything you can do to that meat to keep it as good as possible is just one more, uh, one more way to show respect for the, uh, life of the animal.
1: I was going to say, it goes right back to what we owe that animal for that, uh, for that kill, that, you know, that sacrifice. Uh, not that they're sacrificing we're taking, but... But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, man, seeing that and then the fact that, you know, you're out there and just breaking the norm, if you will. Um, I I was into that. I liked it.
2: Yeah, I was um right yeah, this past season was actually um it was actually the first time I did I did that in the field, but that was another reason I did it, um, that I probably went ahead and processed butchered the animals like, in the primal cuts in the field was just because um you know, one of these days I may not be that close to the truck, and I wanted to—I wanted to be better prepared to handle the situation when, when it uh when it came about. But uh, ain't
1: nothing worse than, yeah, than wasting and spoiling that meat, man. That, that oh yeah, that is, in my opinion, that's worse than not recovering an animal. Um, when you get that animal and you don't, yeah, you don't take those precautions and those measures to ensure that uh, that meat and it spoils. That's uh. Yeah, that's not a good feeling.
2: No, no. I've a, um, yeah, losing an animal is not a good feeling either, but yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I'd rather
1: lose got, um, one than waste it, I tell you that.
2: <laughs> yeah, because if you lose one, you know, it it's, it is a waste, but it's kind of not a waste because if it, you know, on the off chance it lives, it's going to be that much more predator wary, so it's going to be a better survivalist. And if it doesn't live, I mean, it's going to get eaten by something. You know, Absolutely. either a predator's going to eat it, or you know, it's it's not going to go to waste, even if it you know is wasted by you because you can't find it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> going
1: back to nature.
2: Yeah, exactly. So
1: the and the, and it's funny as I'm looking at these, they're they're kind of tying themselves together in my head. Um, so public perceptions and the common good, right? I think. I think those go hand in hand um, when we look at how we should be. I shouldn't say should be. I'll catch flack for that. How should we present (laughs) ourselves? How should we present ourselves when we look at things like social media and how easily it is for people to get a hold of, you know, maybe not the appropriate grip and grin? I mean, there's some grip and grins, man, that. I've seen it all. Um, <laughs> I don't even want, I don't even like bringing any light to them. Um, just not very tasteful in, in what, you know, some folks think of that dead animal. Yeah. Um, that's no good for our demographic, our community. And then the public gets a hold of it and the, you know, especially the aunties and it's just another notch in their belt, more, you know, more fuel to their fire uh, when it comes to saying, look how evil these guys are.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's kind of the point. That, that is the point I was trying to drive home. Is I just, I wish people would just take the time. If you're going to post a group and you're in, which is fine, I mean, because I've got a couple. If you go look at my Instagram, I've got a couple on there, mainly of turkey. But I mean, that's fine. But like, at least give a little bit of context in it and make it semi-tasteful. Like I've seen, like you said, I've seen some with a ah, man. If you if you got a turkey, if you got any animal, and you're putting the shell in its mouth and you're taking a photo of it and posting it on social media, that's not the image that we want to portray to the people
1: that don't hunt. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's not bad. <laughs> Consider, I mean, I dude, I've seen some stuff that's just outright distasteful. Um,
2: yeah, I, I have too. But kind of like, kind of like you said. I was trying to think of a generalization
0: because yeah. I've
2: seen, <laughs> I seen people, I've uh, people holding, people holding turkeys up by like almost like they have choked them out to death, and just uh, yeah, I've seen. People, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you.
1: <laughs> and it's, it's weird, right? Okay, so. I would say there's two side of the aisle but I think there's more than that in this you have You have the back pews, we'll call it, where you get the guys that just do the outright distasteful stuff. So we'll kind of ignore them because they need to be ignored anyway, because they're, in my opinion, not a good representation. But then you have folks that are like, hey, try and clean the blood off, put the tongue in the mouth, you know, make it respectful, which which I tend to lean towards that. And then you have the other side of the aisle that says they don't like us anyway. What does it matter? I'm just going to show what I want to show. And I'm always torn in between the two because I get the argument where, yes, what's the point? This is what it is. This is what we do. But I, the tear is, I feel like we have an obligation to our common good. There's that tie um, to display it in a way that doesn't raise any eyebrows or take someone that isn't very opinionated on hunting and drive them to have a negative opinion on hunting because we, you know, we have 14 pounds of intestines and stomach hanging out and we're posting that thing on social media for, you know, masses to see.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I see. Yeah, I agree. The, um, yeah, I can kind of see the argument about, you know, they're not going to like it anyway. But similar to what you said about the uh, uh, fo- the the extreme posting the really distasteful griffin grins, a lot of those people who aren't going to like it anyway, you can kind of write them off because they're never going to listen to you and they're never going to like it anyway. But if you post a tasteful griffin grin. And it's basically like if you like, let's let's say you post a picture of a deer you got and then like, or even if you post a picture of the primal cuts and then the process and, and then post the picture of the deer you got after the fact, then there's a chance that somebody else might be like, oh, hey, that's a, that's not just a deer, that's food. And you might pique somebody's interest. And if, if you don't bring them in the hunting, at the very least, they might have a little bit more of an understanding of, um. What
1: it's about, or what it's about. (laughs) I, I think that lends itself to kind of the air quote boom that we've seen in hunting over the last few years. Is that, like you said earlier, that foodie approach? Right. This is sustenance. This is how I feed my family. This is you know, meat in the freezer, meat on the table. And I think that's kind of lent itself to that boom, and people realizing that it's not, and and I'm that it's not all primal, right? Because there's a huge part of it, at least for me, that it is primal, um, and I'm not gonna, I won't even mask that. Like, I like to have the blood on my hands. I like the smell of field dressing that animal. That I like being out there on their level and pursuing them so I can bring them home and eat and feed and hang antlers on the wall. Like all that stuff in my head is primal and I'll never hide that. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's,
2: uh, it definitely touches. Uh, yeah, there's a, well, I mean, you know what? Except for the last couple of thousand years or a couple of hundred years, I mean, I thought, that's thousands of years of instinct that we've got that you're getting back in touch with. And I mean, there's just a, this is, I, okay. What I'm about to say, I have no, I have no evidence to back it up, but I kind of like, I wonder if there was more people doing these kind of activities and getting in touch with that primal part of themselves. if just violence and mayhem in society, the whole wouldn't start to go down. Cause I think, you know, you got these primal urges and there's this, you know, people that, aren't aware of the hunting lifestyle at all. I mean, there's, there's no outlet for it. And it's like, that's just part of, it's just like a, you know, it's like a bobcat or a coyote or a mountain lion, you know, that's part of who we are to get that urge out.
1: Yeah. And I think the argument from most folks would be all oh, evolution and blah, 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 blah. But I, I would tend to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody that would argue that, but yeah, I would tend to agree. I, and I just, I laugh cause I'm like, bro, I got canines. <laughs> <laughs> Enough well, said. When
2: when, sorry, man. When people start, uh, when people start off the whole evolution thing, I. When people start making that argument, I'm like, if you stop and take a look at the natural world, especially predators, like look at how many predators have evolutionary tricks to catch their prey. Like you got the trapdoor spider and all it does is hang out in a little hole and wait for something to come on, and bam jumps out and gets it. And then you got, you know, birds of prey with their talons, you got snakes with venom and they'll strike it and then they'll follow the trail and get to it. So like the human mind it's just—it's the same thing. It's—it's a—it's an evolutionary. That's—that's that's our evolutionary weapon, and we got our mind, and they've got these
1: physiological tools. tools. Yeah. Yeah. So our tra- yeah, yeah, my, my trap, yeah, my trapdoor is my bow and my rifle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a—it's an interesting thing, man. Especially when you start looking at, looking at the arguments against it and and i'm sure there's some good ones but i haven't heard a solid argument that can counter everything not even everything just the major points i mean you start talking about conservation and what hunters do for conservation you know here in the states um, we're the number one contributor to conservation we are the the main reason that herds are the way that they are in any species. Um, So to think that these folks are like, Oh no, just leave them alone. Well, what do you think is going to happen without our demographic and that whole, you know, hands off laissez faire thing is uh, it's all malarkey. We've had our hand in the pot for so long. How can we not do anything about it ever? Um, It doesn't work. Yeah. There's so many,
2: um, there's so many people the earth is so populated with people now that there's no way that you could there, there's no way you could not manage wildlife and wildlife still be successful and um, man t- tying it back into the public perception thing we were talking about earlier I think that's uh, like most people who aren't operating within this lifestyle they don't have a clue about any of that it's almost like I wrote this down earlier because I was I was thinking about it it's almost as if General public on the whole thinks that wildlife, you know, that we got together one day and decided to save wildlife to get them away from the nasty hunters. And they don't, they have no clue that it was actually sportsmen and women that got together to, to, yeah, to, to save the wildlife. And I was thinking about that in regards to one of those wildlife management areas I hunt with all the hikers and the bikers. Like I when I encounter people, and maybe this is just me reading into it because nobody's actually specifically said anything to me but i get a i get a vibe as this i'm a hindrance to them like i'm out there because they're allowing me to be out there and here i'm on this wildlife management area and like it's I've, i even contacted twra and they're like yeah funding for this area and the management comes from you know your hundred dollars so it's like it's like they think I, I think in their mind, they think taxes is paying for it, and they think that they're like allowing the hunters to be out there. When in actuality, it's the other way around. But it's uh, a It's not their fault. There's not like really any, unless they're becoming hunters and going through hunters ed. There's not really any. There's no way. There's no active program to in, uh, educate these people about this. So I don't uh, you know. I- and that no, brings no, no, how you up, get around that. That's it. an
1: interesting <laughs> point. I was talking to. Who I was talking to, man? Oh, Brandon Shook. And we were going, we were kind of going back and forth on DM um, and talking about, you know, everything is about conservation. So you look at, you know, the conservation organizations, whether it be public land, whether it be elk, mule deer, whitetail, ducks, things like that. But we. is Is there a fail on our part where we don't have an organization that promotes hunting and sheds light to the masses, say, um, that says this is what hunting is outside of, you know, one or two people talking and having a conversation? And a lot of us. I think feel the pressure and and I can tell you from experience here in California, you won't, you can know a guy for 10 years and don't know he hunts unless you bring it up. Um, you know, oh, we're working yeah. side by side because it's so call it taboo that no one talks about it, you know, and somebody, Oh, you hunt, you know, or you have a hat or something on and, you know, do you hunt? What is that? And, uh, it, it's funny. And then I have a buddy, he's, this is going to be his first season and he just, uh, just harvested, killed, however you look at it, um, a pig a couple of weeks ago on a guided hunt. Really nice pig. And I'm like, dude, you know, where's where's your pig at? Did you post it? And I'm looking and no, I didn't post it, man. I'm a little bit leery about it. Um, and he was worried about catching some backlash from not just, you know, people following, but even family um, that don't get it, that don't understand. So I think that we're a bit guilty when it comes to that common good in that public perception about displaying this and being vocal and displaying it in a way that, Hey, everybody can see it. We want you to see it. Here's everything we do. Is there yeah, an you, organization like it. that? Somebody please.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've, I've actually been, um, yeah, we use it as a springboard to kind of like, uh, educate people. No, I've, um, I have, uh, been thinking about that very subject. Um, quite extensively the past couple months and I just I don't even know I would I would kinda like to take steps to start something like that, but I don't even know how you would get started on starting an organization like that. But I was um I think it was a uh, last uh, it was last year, one of the, the recreation area I hunt where I encounter a lot of uh bikers and stuff. I wanted to organize a um cleanup and the whole goal was I was gonna get a whole bunch of hunters out there during the off season to clean it up with the hopes that we would encounter other recreational users who weren't hunters, and then we could kind of like, you know, be like, hey, look, we're uh, we care about the land and the animals too, it's not just about the kill, it's not just about the hunt, you know, we're about the whole the total package. And uh, yeah, I wish there was, um, I wish there was some sort of organization that kind of like had outreach programs, I guess. I wonder, I mean, how.
1: And I forget the uh the the place you what did you say TWA for that wildlife management area?
2: T W R A, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, is it is it as easy as approaching them and saying, hey, um, you know, we we wanna raise, I don't know, a thousand dollars so we can put up a sign that says, you know, this is made possible by and maybe having a sign as you enter that area that gives the explanation of why that area is accessible and available and the opportunities that are being presented are from sportsmen's dollar, whether it's tag purchases, license purchases, Pittman Robinson Act. Um I, I wonder how difficult or how hard that would be. And and in my head, those are the things that we need to pursue as sportsmen and women to open eyes up and not just have these, you know, one-sided discussions about how great we are.
2: Yeah, exactly. Now um, yeah. I see what you're saying, but I almost think it needs to be um a little bit more aggressive than that because at that one wildlife management area I was talking about in downtown, they actually, you know, when you pull into it, there's there signs everywhere that says this was operated by TWRA. And they, um, I think they took it down, but there used to actually be a big plaque up there that had the headline that said, "Why we hunt and it had different bullet points, you know, about, you know, hunting and conservation and the wildlife management area. And, um, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess, uh, I don't know if people just,
1: Ignore I guess it. people
2: just aren't as curious, as curious yeah. generally as I am. Cause no, I don't think anybody ever looked at it. Almost. Um,
1: or have a day I had feet, at one point in time. Right. Hey, yeah. how come not have a five, you know, a $5 day use fee to park in this lot at the trailhead. If you don't have a hunting or fishing license, you think that, yeah, and see, you know, that might open some daggum eyes. Yeah. I don't know. Um,
2: see, I, uh, On that note, I think they might have been a little too heavy-handed because on those mountain bike trails, I don't know if anybody – I don't even know how you track this, but you're supposed to, if you're mountain biking on those trails in that area, you're supposed to buy a – I think it's like $75 uh, heavy use, day use bike fee if you don't have a hunting license to use that. And I, I, like I said, I don't know – Maybe they sell the crap out of them, but I have a hard time just just from the amount of activity I see in there, I have a hard time believing that there's that many people shelling that out to come in there with a mountain bike.
1: Yeah, that'd be man, that that's a great com- that's a great conversation piece <laughs> because hey, can you know, can we see how this money's appropriated, right? How if if they have access to this the same we do and we're ninety five percent of those dollars <sighs> you know can we get some closure time during hunting season i'm i'm you know mm. sitting here with a rifle and i got 10 mountain bikes rolling by but but that becomes you know you get into the topic of well it's public lands right right but then okay who's contributing more to those public lands i mean where where is that balance or that imbalance where can we fracture that to and it's not so much about charging folks or or making them pay for use as more as it is as you know let's cause some awareness so people stop with these freaking stereotypes of what we're out there doing.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a tool for uh, education. Yeah. I'm not a, I don't know how you go about, how you go about doing that dog where I'm at is really interesting because you got that wildlife management area and it's in downtown. So you got a heavy, like more liberal mindset, there, because Knoxville's starting to be a fairly metropolitan area, but then like just adjacent to it, you got all these rural counties. So it's almost like you got the two clashing because you got the real, you got the real hardcore way, way right wing guys, and then in town you got the real hardcore way, way left wing guys, and then right there at that wildlife management area, you got the two of them clashing together.
1: It's the new Hatfield and McCoy's. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh yeah. The more I think about that topic, man, you know, and, and I almost feel. I almost feel like a POS because I'm not doing <laughs> nothing right. I, I yeah. w- where do you start? Right. These are all good thoughts, but where do you start? And then the, the, and, and this is what Shook, you know, was talking about the other day. And he says half the problem is, is nobody wants to get involved in politics and, and I get mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff is politics. You look at the money that, you know, PETA and Greenpeace and all the contributions and madness that they have going on. They're political. They are political powerhouses. Um, I think they have less to do with anything and, you know, nature and and wildlife and more to do with politics. And uh, yeah. But what can we do that? That is the question. What can we do and how do we get something like that going? And unless you got a bunch yeah. of money and a bunch of time, you know who's gonna let? <coughs> excuse me, who's gonna let yeah, Adam no. Smith and Guy from Western Contours into the Capitol Building? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I, and um, man, yeah, like you said, too, Sometimes I do feel like a, I do feel like a POS just because, like, like um, I hate to admit it, man, but when when it starts getting close to hunting season, dude, like my focus. Changes and get shifted on that, and it's not till the season starts to wind on, I start thinking about these things a lot, and I'm like, "Man, I really need to do something, get involved, and to step up." But then, by the time I get the ball rolling, I'm thinking about something like that. And season Yeah, scouting. Yeah, I guess I need to be I need to be less selfish and try to figure out a way to get that get that fired up. I'd like to do something. um I don't know, man. I was thinking if you could fight, figure out some way to have like a wild game supper and like invite a bunch of these people where if you could just, if you could get a few people on board with the positive effects of it, then maybe they would go and spread it to their buddies. And if we can't change, if we can't change the narrative, like, you know, there was a point in time, you know, hundreds of years ago in our history where the hunter was looked at as the hero, but now at the very best by a lot of people, he's looked at as a dopey redneck. And at the very worst, he's looked at as a villain. And if we could at least change the narrative to where we can get people to start looking at, you know, Hey, they're all right guys and they care. Then that would be a huge step forward.
1: And I, I, honestly, I think that that starts in the outdoor community, not just with hunters, but being able to cross those lines, right. Um, To the mountain bikers, to the snowshoers, to the backpackers and the mountain climbers, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of the other outdoors communities are on the left side of our argument, right? They don't, they don't approve, but I think they, we need to get them to understand how much we contribute to their time in the outdoors. Um, and I think that's where it starts. Um, and you would think that someone that can go out and appreciate the, the same that we do would have some, Time and under or want to have time and understanding about what we do and contribute. I just don't think that, like you said, the narrative isn't there. Nobody's reaching for that.
2: Yeah, and um, you know what? Uh, this is kind of it's on topic but off topic, and this is like this is one of those impossible things to do. But I think would help a lot is um, I've often said like the only person that I really. When it comes to a lot of people who are against hunting or kind of iffy about hunting, the only person whose argument I really take seriously is a uh, somebody who's like a hardcore vegan because at least then I think they've got a lane to stand on. But if you eat meat of any kind, then I'm like, man, you don't really have an argument against what I'm doing and I think I don't know, uh, I think it was maybe Joe Rogan podcast one point in time he said people needed a license, they should have a license to eat meat and I kind of like, you know, I think if everybody who was going to eat meat at least once in their life was responsible for killing and processing their own animal. That it would uh, it would do a lot to
1: kind of change that a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> and I, so, okay, so I'll I'll agree to a point on the vegan thing. And why I say to a point is you're on the opposite end, right? You're totally totally on the opposite end, the opposite extreme. I would expect you to have. More respect for my side of it because you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're 180 from what we are and what we're about. Now I get the their argument about, you know, life, but I'm they get as much crap as we get about being vegan. So you would well, think they'd yeah, be a little, true, more, yeah. a little more open-minded to the whole situation. And then on the part with, yeah. with the meat. And this is how I I approach people all the time with it. Right. If I'm talking and having this conversation, it's like, look, I say I got 100 pounds of venison in my freezer. How much of that venison will I waste when you go to the store and you buy that cellophane foam slab of meat? How much of that will you waste? Are you going to eat that whole 14 ounce steak in a sitting? Are you going to wrap it back up, put it in the fridge and then forget it was there? And then you're going to end up throwing it away in two weeks. We go out and harvest an animal. And I don't know many folks that are hunters that will let I'll drop a piece of 10 second rule does not apply when it comes to wild game. (laughs) If it falls off the grill and my dog licks it, if he don't eat it, I'm eating it. Period. It's going back on the grill. It's getting eaten. You know, so it's a respect thing. You don't you don't have any respect for cellophane and foam. I'm sorry. You just don't, you know, that those are the people that, that I want to reach is them. The vegans are going to be the vegans. I would expect them to be as open-minded.
2: Yeah, no, I, um, I see, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. I wasn't really saying that. Um, Basically what I'm just getting at is like, I, I'm not saying I agree with them, but you know, as far as like listening to them, I will listen to them a little bit more to to an extent because some of them, some of these podcasts I've listened to where they've interviewed these, uh, hardcore vegans, animal rights activists, man, just some of the arguments I was listening to, I was listening to one and they were interviewing the guy and he was talking about like, basically it was just about ending suffering. And if that meant like completely wiping out, like, I think he used mallards as an example. He's like, if that means a world without mallards, to mean, less suffering then we should have a world without mallards. I'm like, Hey, what? That don't even make any sense. No,
1: <laughs> no. And you know what? I'm glad you said that you said vegans and animal rights activists. And I think ge- classifying or generalizing vegans into that group or that demographic is unfair to vegans that aren't there. So I'm glad you, you separated that because yeah. I wasn't doing it.
2: Yeah. I've got a, um, I've got a friend, actually a pretty good friend who's a, um, She's a vegetarian, but she's that's a, that's a just a personal choice, and she don't like her husband eats meat and everything. So yeah, there's there's definitely a distinction they be made between the extremists and the people who are doing it as like a choice.
1: Yeah, and to hear something like you know end suffering, kill all mallards. Okay, so you start with the mallards, and then what next? You know what I mean? We yeah. as as species, humans, probably have more suffering with our population densities than anything on the planet. Um so where does that conversation go? You know, that that's yeah. that is moronic.
2: Yeah, I think that same guy was making an argument too. They were um I think they asked him about the uh um like the nature of a wolf. They're like, well what about you know predators that kill other animals? And they're like, well maybe we could breed that out of them and i was just sitting there i'm like you're making an argument about about animals and giving them like the same rights as people which is the right to choose your own life but then you're trying to breed out their own nature yeah
1: yeah that's a that's a dude in tie-dye and birkenstocks and some (laughs) super tight pants that's been fed everything he believes his entire life and if you want to call actually, me, uh, if he wants to call me and argue <laughs> that, let's go, buddy. <laughs>
2: I've actually reached out to a couple of wildlife or a couple of animal rights groups because I just had some questions. It was just like, that I was just dying to know and I've not heard back from any of them. Because no. I made it clear, I was, like, I, was like, hun- I was like, I've got a hunting-centric blog and I was like, I've got some questions, you know. I just, I, I just wanted to like, one of the ones I wanted, one of the questions I wanted to know was, um, this is a generalization granted, but like I would assume most of the people in these groups are of the mindset of like a a very quote-unquote scientific atheistic type mindset, but then like if that's the case, then how do you make an argument for not killing animals because it's a natural evolutionary process of doing that that what got us to this point to begin with? So you're asking us to go against nature, but then on the same hand, you're asking us to believe nature. So I don't yeah just stuff like that but i I was hoping i would hear back from them but i've not they they will not
1: i've had i've had or seen people attack hunters on post and i'll ask the person who posted hey do you mind if i reach out no go ahead and i will i will message them and like hey i'd love to have a conversation with you not one (laughs) dude i have done that easy i'm gonna say easy 30 or 30 to 40 times and not one of them has ever responded not once that tells you right there like you don't you don't have an argument you're being fed something that's the tie-dye birkenstock tight pants you know it's you don't have a belief you're just behind something because you think that's what it is and it's just it's crazy
0: oh
2: yeah and the sad part is all the people who are in the middle and on the fence they they don't they're ignorant of that part of the conversation and all they see is like the guy who the anti who's like reaming the hunter a new one and they're like yeah yeah but but they don't ever see the other half of conversation when we're like hey let's talk about this
1: mm-hmm. have a discussion about it yeah they won't do it I like I said man. 30 to 40. And I ain't had one respond yet. And I would love to, I just want to have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah. We don't have to agree. We don't have to agree to disagree. None of that. Let's just have a conversation. I want to hear your side. I'm going to present mine and then wherever that takes us, it takes us, but they're not. And and I'll present it that way. And they, not one of
0: them, man, not one of them. So, yeah.
1: So good deal, man. Well, I appreciate the time, Adam. Um, you know, like I said, I read that blog and I was like, let me hit dude up, man. There's some good points here, some good conversation <laughs> in my opinion. So want to well, get I'll you on. The, and, uh, yeah.
2: yeah, I totally appreciate the opportunity to come on and chew the fat with you on these subjects. Just because um, I don't know, I can ramble on and on about them. So <laughs> it's always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to. If you come up with anything, man, if you, you know, make any ground on that unselfish time of year and come up with something, man, keep in touch (laughs) and let me know how that goes and what you come up with. Um, I think it's something that we all need to be looking at. And, you know, how do we, again, going back to the common good, how do we affect it for the common good? Um, Right. You know, and how do we how do we support what we love so much and get rid of, you know, the squabbles are going to happen. But how do we get rid of that stuff and support this and, and make sure that we're we're keeping in the best light and uh keeping it around you know it sounds cliche as hell but for future generations right this is something that is full of values that uh man society could use a whole bunch of it right now
2: oh yeah and it's one of those things it's just it's hard to it's hard to articulate the value until you um, until you participate in it and it's just yeah it's okay to have the, the petty squabbles and disagreements just don't do it to the point where you're ignoring the bigger picture mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that's it all right brother well you have a great one man again i thank you for your time
2: hey like i said i appreciate the opportunity it was good to talk, good talking to you guys
1: absolutely man thank you thank you for listening We spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts, and how we fuel our efforts is key. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com, helping you perform optimally in the backcountry. The purpose of Valley to Peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science. To help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry, there's no secret. This is done through education, coaching, and programming based on personal goals and preferences. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com or catch him on Instagram at b 2 p Nutrition.